Today I'm really pleased to introduce you to Rasmi Kasat Majakorpi, who's the vice president and head of digital business development and founder of Digital Karas at Metsa. It's really pleasure to have you here with us today, Rasmi. Hi, and thank you for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here. We had an interesting lunch where we were discussing a lot about different topics, uh, which we will cover today as well. Uh, but before we go there, it would be really great to understand a bit about like what's your background, uh, how, how did you end up in the current position and, and so on. Right. Uh, so, uh, as you can see from my name that I am not of Finnish origin, I just have in the last name uh, Uh, part of my husband's name. I'm of Indian origin. I came to Finland about 13 years ago. Um, and uh, back in India, uh, I studied uh, electronics engineering. I worked for, I started my career in a diamond jewelry company. Uh, mm -hmm. So as a woman, I really got fascinated by uh, um, also understanding how those jewelry are produced. It was all about designing for delight, uh, and that's where my introduction to design happened. In that industry, you really have to understand what consumers want and um, what they like, what are the occasions in their lives, weddings and you know, um, major events, birthdays and anniversaries, and they buy uh, those jewelry for that. And different markets like America, Australia, uh, Europe had different, totally different uh, needs uh, for jewelry. So I learned a lot about uh, uh, how to meet customer requirements in these markets, ranging from anywhere between $9 jewelry to $999. And the key there is that you have to design differently and you have to be very innovative. Uh, In that company, I got introduced to SAP as a tool, and I got fascinated that now I need to learn about a little about this tool. So that's where the career direction changed from luxury products to uh, and from design to more of uh, uh, consulting in SAP. I worked for a couple of French IT companies uh, as a SAP consultant, and in these companies, I worked with industrial clients in Finland, actually. Uh, a major Nordic steel manufacturer and a, a major uh, Nordic global uh, lifting uh, crane solutions company. And uh, here we worked on uh, their vision to uh, have SAP as a common tool to speak common language between their different businesses. So they had this vision of having a one company strategy. And so I, there I gathered a lot of experience in large-scale transformations in these companies. From there, I got this very nice opportunity to uh, uh, at Capgemini to continue in management positions where I learned a lot about you know, business management, people management, and making the numbers happen. Uh, one thing I still need to learn a lot about is people leadership. That's, that's the thing that I think I will continue learning all my life. In the two years ago, uh, there was a very nice position opened at Metso for digital uh, digital uh, program management, and I thought I would I, I want a change now, and I want to go to this this side of the world, uh, customer side, and see and learn more. 
and you know having come from a fine jewelry production to heavy machinery production would have been like uh, uh, I thought it was very fascinating then you see the production methods and the, you learn a lot about the supply chain of these different industries and that's very fascinating for me and since then I have been here and last year I uh, um, together with my uh, with, with our chief digital officer Yani Puranta we founded this digital garage so this is the journey hmm. really fascinating from jewelry to pick like consulting firms and now working on uh, like a, on on Metso side <clears throat> so if you think about like the when you're working on a jewelry you mentioned about like being really customer centric yes. uh, and then then working on a consulting firm uh, a lot of numbers and understanding that side of it yes. and then if you think about those two backgrounds in your current position how does it help help you to succeed in, in your current role um, this is a very good question because uh, the first lesson and I always talk about lessons learned in life I have not uh, I'm not born innovator or born digitalist or I don't even want to claim that So these are all evolving and uh, these lessons and learnings are evolving all the time. So biggest lessons learned is give a very keen ear, ear to your customers, what they are saying, which industry they operate in, what conditions do they operate in, what are their demands, what are the demands from the environment on them. And today sustainability is a very big topic in all our industries. You talk to your clients, you probably hear a lot about uh, uh, how to how to produce uh, in our industry at least we talk about how to produce high uh, tonnage per hour uh, for less dust emission less noise emission less water consumption less energy consumption so more for less is what our clients need in our industry this is one thing I learned that always give a very keen ear to what customers want and talk to many customers um, On the other hand, internally, have a very high-performing culture. Uh, so it, it needs to match the customer expectations in a way. Uh, and this is very key, the internal setup and how it meets the customer demands and customer needs. Uh, because just knowing the customer requirements is not enough if you cannot perform internally and deliver. So this yeah. is what I learned. Yeah, great. Great. Before we go further, like Metso for all Finns is a known company, but like we also have audience, like global audience. So could you give a bit, bit of a background of what does Metso do and what's the role of the digital cars there? Right. <clears throat> Very good question again, because uh, people see us as a producer, per perhaps of, you know, big uh, industrial crushers and industrial valves and pumps and A lot of people perhaps do not uh, recognize that, uh, as an example, the phone they use, uh, the um, cooking utensils they use in their houses, the jewelry they wear, a lot of these contain minerals, uh, um, metals, and, and so on. And they ha the houses in which uh, we live, uh, at least quite many houses, if you don't talk about the summer houses, which are made of wood, but uh, the normal buildings in Helsinki city center are you know, made of stones and uh, rocks, if I may. Our machines uh, in the mineral processing segment crush big rocks into small rocks uh, for uh, construction businesses and, and such. So that's the aggregate segment. 
but then also our machine crushed these rocks to smaller sizes to extract the metal from them, so the minerals. And that's the mining segment. These both segments are very big for us. And there is the flow control segment, which is uh, about controlling flow of minerals in the pipelines, like the oil and gas business, for example. So there is mezzo for you. <laughs> yeah, great. And what about the Ditsila Karats? So, <coughs> The garage was launched with uh, with the intention to take ideas in our organization forward. Very often it happens that when we get into the day-to-day grind, we we you know we just don't have the time to uh, take certain critical ideas forward. So the garage was uh, introduced as an engine to take these ideas from being in a limbo uh, to being something more concrete, uh, like a prototype, so that we can get feedback from the customers and from the markets that, is this a viable idea? Is this something that will bring value to our customers or to our internal stakeholders? If yes, let's even go further with the ideas. Yeah, so it is. It's experimenting on yes. the, and, and validating whether they're going to go forward with with those precisely. Those yeah. yeah, yeah, and that is that is really key. On and we had a good discussion about about like the volume, of, like pushing a lot of ideas forward, or versus like focusing on trying to kind of narrow down and then pushing pushing the few ideas further down the road. Okay. Can you elaborate a bit about like your approach? Like, how is it? Is it that you kind of focus on? quickly on the few things that we you really push forward or is it that you open up the kind of the innovation funnel that you push a lot of ideas to the beginning of the funnel or this is this is one thing we we tried to do differently and i think is a key cornerstone of our initial success um, Uh, we decided not to work with a lot of quantity. We decided that, uh, yes, of course, there are hundreds of ideas around the company. We are 13,000 people in Metso and we have lots of customers and partners like yourself. The number of ideas is absolutely uh, not a problem. Uh, the problem is uh, delivering high quality out of these ideas and impact out of these ideas. It's not a problem, it's an opportunity, I should say. Uh, so we decided that annually we'll take on 10 of these bright ideas. So out of the number of ideas we get, we down-select to 10, which we believe in as a, as a, as a group, uh, and we take them forward. So focus on quality, not on quantity. That was the first principle. How we work with these is that people are free to sell, send us any kind of idea. We don't restrict the kind of ideas. And this is not the, we don't want to make this too big uh, science, let's say. Send what you think is important, and then let's prioritize based on the other ideas, how they compare and what could bring more value. So we get roughly, uh, last year, uh, in the whole, now we are celebrating one year anniversary, and, the, and in this one year we got 50 ideas. We took uh, nine of them forward, so we stick to the principle of 10, 9, 10, something like that. And then uh, we have a council. We meet every, every this council meets every quarter. Uh, council has representation from our senior executives in the business, in the seven business areas that we have. And uh, we together make a prioritization. And we choose every quarter three or four, so that at the end of the year it sums up to 10. 
this is the process yeah. and it seems to work for now yeah yeah that's great <laughs> that's great because often often like um, when we work with, with a lot of companies like yourself it's exactly like you said it's it's not the problem of not having ideas it's to selecting the ones that really have a chance to make it mm-hmm. and being lean enough in in a, like earlier process that you don't spend all the resources on right. too many ideas uh, can you talk about bit about the process of uh, you mentioned about like the prototyping and the ideas and the customers like how does it like if an idea gets selected yes how do you move forward with the idea it, it quite uh, depends on the idea itself um, Uh, some of these may require a little bit more detailed concept. Some of these come to us like very clear, exactly where to start, what to do, which customer to go to, you know, and uh, who to talk to. And some of these have very vague idea. I want an app that takes info that I can use for collecting information uh, from here or there and and then i want to feed that information back to my design process now this has a lot of you know questions open questions like exactly who's the user of this app uh, what value will this app bring to customer to metso uh, and uh, and what kind of information you want to have on that and so on so de- defining detail concept could be the first phase then we as, and and here we i'm i have grown to be a big fan of service design now by practice so i like it very much and our people told us they like very much to be interviewed you know they get this one hour session or half an hour whatever is the case to voice their opinion they like it they are very proud of what they make in metso and i i think this is a huge tool this service design interview tool Uh, to get that knowledge out of our people because that's what we do the best we have the knowledge so why not make use of it you know so the concepting phase is very important and then we move we start looking for if it's a new technology then we start to evaluate technology there very quickly talk to startups talk to uh, bigger companies and uh, down select some technologies and then eventually make a proof of concept with one of those and in that proof of concept pro- concept project we uh, use agile method so you know you you name it uh, starting with sprint planning uh, going down to uh, d- dailies uh, having the demos every week and and so on projects hmm. may last anywhere between you know 5 weeks to 12 weeks for example depending on the complexity of the idea yeah yeah and these two years that you've been running this process what has been the learning curve Like well, what have you learned? Tremendously, I would say we have learned. Uh, we have developed a learning curve over this uh, over over the last one year already. The number one learning is that we make a lot of assumptions about our customers. Uh, we think we know, uh, but we no, don't know a lot of details uh, under which situations uh, they operate the machines, how they operate the machines, and what kind of uh, challenges they may face, what kind of opportunities they see in the process. Uh, example, in the process of ordering the parts, how easy is it uh, for them to make or place an order? This is just an example. And uh, by asking, by being at the customer side, by observing them through these ethnography metho- methods, was that mm-hmm. the right yeah. word? Yeah, exactly. ethnography studies, uh, and by asking them questions, we learn a lot in the process. And we learn, we we also have these aha moments very often. And when we come back and tell our engineers about these aha moments, they have a further aha moment, for example. 
and uh, that develops sort of an understanding of how the machine is really, really used. We know something, but now we know even better. So that's one of the biggest learnings. Uh, the second is, I think, uh, more, uh, more on the side that uh, we learn by doing a lot of things. Uh, uh, if there was no garage, I think we would have PowerPoint presentations first from the partners or from the technology uh, partners, and we would evaluate a lot of those written proposals or something. And that, you know, that's nice, yes, and that is one way of doing it, but that does take a lot of efforts and time to read through those proposals. And your understanding is different when you read through only proposals or read through documents and PowerPoints. And your understanding is very different when you start doing them. So that, yeah. I think, is the biggest learning. As an example, we were doing a project on RFID. Uh, and uh, we interviewed a few experts during the process and you know just to get an understanding of what are the limitations of this technology and what is the uh, uh, full potential of this technology. So that was the theory. And then we went on the field. We stuck a few RFID tags here and there. And we started measuring you know how they do. And then it was. A surprise, actually, what we found out in this process. I can't talk much about that, but I'm just trying to say that you have to go out of the textbooks and do it for yourself to learn how it will work. Yeah, yeah. Great learnings. And especially, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that the customer centricity is something that is really kind of close to you. And like, and often, often like you hear, because I come from the like research and design background, and often the the challenge is that the things are moving so fast nowadays. Yes. A lot of the times the research is something that is felt that let's us build something and ship it and then we'll start learning. Yeah. Uh, and often the that kind of approach wins. Yeah. Wins and, and then the results might be that you develop something fast, but to hit the connect uh, to the point uh, to the customer needs is, is really challenging. And I always say that you actually it's you save a lot of money if you do the research up front because then you develop things that the customers really need and value rather than you develop things what you think they need and value. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yes, it is still the Henry Ford, uh, um, you know, dilemma that if you ask the customers, they will say faster horses. Uh, but I think we should focus on what challenges they face and what opportunities they see and not ask them the direct solution. They perhaps don't know because that's the thing about the faster horses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's for us to then figure with our uh, and test the limits of technology that what could be that next faster horse for them, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. The customers are not designers. Exactly. But you need to understand their needs. And yes. And in a big corporation, there's a lot of like internal sales and communication that you need to do. And then like, it's overwhelming yes. to do everything by yourself. Yes, exactly. And you, you see what happens during this, uh, because this garage was, a, uh, was something that never existed before. And people started to see the value, uh, how they could get their ideas forward. The demand overgrew the supply you know, very quickly. So that's something we don't foresee and forecast uh, up front. And we, we go with this finished thinking that let's start small and then we'll see from there. But maybe the small could be as small as two people and not one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in your case, in at Metso, it was there was a, you didn't face this kind of like, because often when there's a stabilized business and you bring something new, regardless what it is, 
uh, it takes some time for the kind of the stabilized organization to understand the value of, of this kind of new kit on the block. Did you have any kind of like, uh, challenges on, on in the beginning? I think it sounds like that every it was more that everybody like saw the value of the digital cars rather than seeing as a kind of. A no, it's a good question. <clears throat> I am also very positively surprised that it was rather painless, mm. but maybe it was also about the timing in the industry. If you hear, for example, uh, I read on Wall Street Journal or somewhere similar. Uh, Rio Tinto, one of the largest mines in the world, and the CEO of Rio Tinto has been quoted saying that the mining industry is not the first industry that comes to your mind when you think about innovation. But it's rather time now. It's hundreds of years we have been doing mining the way we have been doing. It's the, the, the big differences are the you know machines, the automation in the machines, and the connectivity factors, etc. So this is evolving now very fast. 4G, 5G, whatever uh, connectivity, IoT, and, and and these kind of things and big data generated from the machines and so on. So while technology on one hand is evolving very fast, uh, we are not innovating fast enough in the industry. And this we are realizing as a supplier of the mining in the, uh, to the mining industry. Uh, this was just one example. So um, customers are faced with very high demand on sustainability. Because, you know, mining, for example, is one of the businesses highly regulated uh, in most countries. Uh, and environmental impact of mining is considered to be uh, one of the driving factors. So you want to have a sustainable mine and you want to have uh, a safe mine uh, for the people and the, for the community. That's where innovation becomes important. And uh, I think uh, uh, this realization makes it easy for uh, companies like us to take on these kind of newer ideas. But again, there we started with start small yeah. and then scale from there. Yeah. Yeah, the timing has been, it's like if you, if you look at a lot of the successful startups, how they have grown, and even, even if Netflix look at, there's mm -hmm. been like different phases where the timing has been just right. Exactly. If you are too soon to the market or with your ideas, it might be that it the market is not ready exactly. or the technology is not ready there. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's really valuable point as well. So at at Metro, like Digital Garage is this kind of innovation hub. How how does the kind of the, that translate into the, the whole corporation, the kind of innovation culture? Do you do any any special around that, trying to get the whole corporation to be innovative? I think Digital Garage is just one of the engines uh, to drive innovation. I honestly, I would be one of the ambassadors or advocates of this kind of garages all over the organization. So I am no in no way wanting to centralize the process. I think the more decentralized we are, the more agile we are, more faster we are, and there should be only one aim in our mind, serve the customers better, serve the customers faster. So. Um, I, I tend to see that this could uh, this could serve as an example for the rest of Metso, and then they could you know they could have their own innovation labs and garages etc. And people people should do it in my opinion, uh, but at least then we are more a systematic uh, unit uh, with a you know with a governance a lean governance around it and a process around it etc. So. So I, so I think that is uh, that's working and uh, is giving a kickstart to many other innovation uh, processes within the within the organization in the businesses uh, you asked about what else is there so we also have an annual metso award innovation challenge uh, 
uh, that we run annually, and I'm part of the committee uh, there as well, where we invite ideas from our, we crowdsource ideas from our, uh, from our people, from our colleagues, all over METSO, and it's internal. And uh, last year, uh, two years ago, when we didn't have an emphasis on innovation, so we had METSO award, uh, we got like 50, 30 to 50 ideas, good, very good ideas, but they were more focused on best practice sharing. Now the moment we add the word innovation and put an emphasis on the word renewal, novelty, innovation, the number doubles. Okay. And this year we were surprised to see that w almost one third of these ideas have a potential for IP in them. So this is very encouraging throughout METSO right now, the yeah. emphasis on innovation, investments in innovation, and culture of experimentation. Yeah, and it, it's, if you think about that, it's huge kind of resource pool if you think about all your people and the knowledge, which might be something related directly what they do, but it might be something that, bit of a, like a side project idea, which hasn't had any kind of channel before, Correct. having this kind of channel is, is a great uh, kind of value for the company as Exactly, well. skunk works if you will, mm. and you know, things may fly and things may not fly. That's why we don't have a 100% conversion rate, uh, even if 50% of these 10 can fly and can create either a top line or, or bottom line or both value, then why not? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of, when I circle back to the customer centricity, uh, can you talk a bit about the because you obviously have like big customers who you are like a really close ties with, right? And and then you have a like a probably you have a like a long tail customers as well. Yes, yes. Like where are you focusing on your like customer research efforts or being co-creative with the customers? That's another good question. We have not decided to uh, segment. Uh, in, at least in the digital garage, not segment too much by customers, uh, uh, this is big or this is small. We've decided to do it based on uh, more on value because whatever we do, if we create a service or an app or, uh, uh, or something, it scales up easily to every kind of uh, customer in mining. And eventually, because mining and aggregates have uh, their own synergy between the way you know rock is crushed and it's crushed in both places basically so there is some degree of synergy there so we can also leverage that so short answer is no we do not segment by customers we segment more by value that is created from that digital service or digital app uh, and then we scale up to as many customers as yeah. possible possible yeah. okay so you might start with a small customer, like understand and be like experiment and on there, and then scale to the bigger ones. Correct. Or in some cases, you might start even start with a bigger one, yeah. uh, who's very willing and eager yeah. uh, to work with us. We have examples also of those yeah. where customers, you know, very large customers, come to us and say, "We want to work together with you." For example. Mm. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's excellent. So, and this is a difficult question, but like, so what? What, in your opinion? What does it take for a big corporation uh, to succeed in delivering innovation to the market that has an impact? Again, what my key learning here is to be uh, people-centric. Our uh, CEO, Pekka Vauramo, says uh, that 
even though we are a B2B business to business uh, company, at the end of the day, we are a P2P. And every business is a P2P, meaning people to people business. So people sell to people. People don't sell to concrete buildings or pe- concrete buildings don't buy from people, right? So it's uh, it's a lot about um, giving people a little bit liberty, a little, well, little bit, people, the liberty and the freedom uh, to tinker with their ideas, to make them happen, to let them make that happen, and to have a little bit room for also learning curve. So it doesn't need to always be that if you spend your time with a idea or with an idea or an innovation, it always needs to deliver 200 million euros. That, that, is the, that should be the ambition, and absolutely that should be the value based thinking but when you start you don't want to have that huge pressure that i need in six months 200 million euros Mm. let them little bit tinker with it let them think how it could become bigger let them go to customers and ask and and that that's very important giving people the freedom yeah yeah i think you it's really in important and interesting point is like in in big corporation where they're like the it, we're talking about hundreds of millions of revenue of the core business or billions. And if you start something small, it easily gets crushed because it's not significant for the yes. like, for the financial resource of the company. And yes. having that kind of umbrella that protects that and a culture that cherishes innovation, big or small, is, is really important. Exactly. I was reading about Pixar Studios and that is exactly what they say there should be a protector of new ideas and in some ways uh, we are happy that we are playing that role in the organization so like you also use the word mm. okay well during the like, lunch that we were discussing you also talked about storytelling as a tool for internal communication yes can you exp- elaborate a bit about like how are you using that yes I'll tell you a story when I started my career in math so uh, I started with this digital uh, digitalization program in Valve's business. And uh, with all my experience in consulting, I couldn't pinpoint the problem. You know, I tried to draw all sorts of process maps and figure what what is the problem here? Because every meeting we sat in, uh, it seemed to me that the, the magnitude of problem was very big and... Uh, or at least it appeared that there were many problems that we were trying to solve at once. And it was frustrating me for a few weeks uh, why this is happening. Uh, it, I, and I was mostly thinking inwards that this must be me who is not understanding. And one day I decided that uh, I'm going to draw this as a comic strip drawing. And that's it. That just struck. Um, I drew it and I went to two of our executives and I showed it, showed it to them. And I sparred with them. It nailed it. People just understood it, and uh, and they said, yes, that's the problem we are trying to solve. And I was like, okay, six weeks it took me to figure what you are trying to solve, but finally, so storytelling is like really, really key there. Uh, and if you can use this kind of visual elements, yeah, yeah, it speaks to people. Yeah, and people are built to understand stories and remember stories. Exactly, it's a, it's a really powerful tool. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so in your in your today's role, you've been at Metso two years now. What are the kind of things that you? What are the challenging challenging things for you today in your role? Uh, one one of the big 
big challenges that we can't solve by just snapping our fingers is um, uh, resource allocation. Uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's time, people's time. So investments are there, and clearly there is uh, there is no uh, challenges nowadays on the investment side. So that is a good situation to be in. Uh, however, then there are only those few people who work on several important projects and their time is limited, that attention and time is limited. They are at the customers, they are with our engineers, they are with the management, they are, with, they are everywhere. So that challenge is something I feel that we can't solve overnight. That, that challenge has to be solved only through prioritization. Uh, and that's why, again, the principle of Digital Garage, let's not take on everything, let's prioritize that is really, really important for our customers and for us. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is more a long-term uh, thing that how do we convert these diamond ideas into something big? So although nobody is asking me to deliver in six months a half a billion euro business, new business, which is nice that it's not currently the KPI, but I think that should be the long, in the longer, not even in longer, in midterm, the KPI, that we have to create big value for customers and for us from these diamond ideas. Yeah. Okay. Great. This world that we are living in, and especially the innovation uh, area, is going so fast. Like you mentioned, prototyping. Like prototyping has like gone light years in just fraction of a, like a time. Like when I started in in this company, we hired separate prototypers to do HTML5 prototyping, and mm -hmm. that's only like eight years ago. Today, like even I can create a prototype like like this. <laughs> so if you think about five years from now, uh, what what do you think? If you would be five years from now to go go to another company to start a new uh, startup or digital garage, what kind of world would we be living in? What would be the challenging there, and what would be? It's it's a beautiful question because my life's learning working with industrial companies at least, and I see that I will work still quite much with industrial companies. I like it that way. Uh, is that they, they are the same problems everywhere. It's uh, I have not heard that somebody wants to, uh, uh, when it comes to engineers, when it comes to engineering processes, it's exact same problems everywhere. So I imagine that uh, the solutions will be sort of configurable and modular, so they'll be Lego boxes, and uh, you'd be able to use across the industries sort of those Lego box uh, boxes and prototyping. So. That thing comes to my mind as the first thing that there will be modular, uh, um, there will be modules that we could, you know, just plug, uh, just plug together, and then tweak it to be very company specific uh, or industry specific hmm. uh, and reuse. Okay. So that would be an ideal world, I think. Then we can even shorten the cycles very much. Yeah. Yeah, I think the speed is only going to get faster and faster. Yes, sure. Great. Uh, Rasmi, it's been really pleasure to have you here. You have a lot of good insights for some, some people who are starting in a similar kind of position in a big corporations or who are working there and struggling. So thank you for this uh, these insights. Uh, do you have any final words that you want to give your fellow innovators as advice? No, I would say just... Uh, 
you know, don't talk about innovation and don't talk about ideas, just do them. Yeah. And with those words, uh, I would also like to say it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting and have a nice summer. Likewise. Thank you, Rashmi. Thank you.